I suppose, like, thankfully, many people in this country, it seems idyllic now looking back on it, but I was part of a large family. We lived on the edge of town, but uh, really in an area of, of fields. There was fields around this countryside, so plenty of space to run around. And it was eight in our eight children in our family. I was the second eldest, so but there was other children around as well. So lots of youngsters to play around with, play hurling with, play football with, play cops and robbers with, all those sorts of things. It was almost impossible not to be involved in, in the stage to some extent in Wexford because we had the Opera Festival, still have the Opera Festival, uh, which was established in the early 50s. So when I was growing up, you know, every year the festival time was, was a real high point coming, uh, as it still does, at the end of October, early November. Gilbert and Sullivan were very big back in the 60s and, and 70s and our Light Opera Society, Wexford Light Opera Society, which is still very active and still an excellent organisation, uh, did almost every year there was a Gilbert and Sullivan opera put on, light opera or operetta, depending on what we want to put it. Um, and, and then they, they fell out of favour as being a bit sort of naff and so on. But in fact, the, the music, Arthur Sullivan's music, is, is still very beautiful. And the lyrics that Gilbert wrote, uh, which were written in Victorian England and in some ways very pointedly about people and things that happened in Victorian England, uh, are still very, very clever. Coincidentally, and again fortuitously from my point of view, uh, whereas the Opera Festival had been set up from the early 50s, in the early 70s Wexford Arts Centre became established, and this is a period when I was going through secondary school. Uh, I got involved with that at a pretty early stage. We had a kind of a youth group, if you like, which a youth arm of the Arts Centre, which set up there with myself and a number of friends established that, and we did a number of theatrical presentations and poetry readings and that sort of stuff. Uh, and it was through that that I met my, my wife, who was... Um, just a year or two younger than me and, and also involved and interested in the same things. The whole male-female thing is always fraught in those teenage and early 20 years. Uh, maybe you never lose that, but uh, I mean, of course the usual normal um, teenage angst and so on. Um, but, you know, we got beyond it. Got married in 82. <laughs> Being a weather forecaster at the time, uh, I joined the Met Service as it was then, Met Air now in 1980. Of course, uh, Wedding days are a big deal for weather, you know, and even still we get phone calls, you know, I'm getting married on the 15th of August, what's it going to be like, or something like that. And of course you can't tell three months in advance what a day is going to be like, you can't tell anything really about the weather three months in advance, that's a whole other story. So uh, there was a certain focus on hoping the day would be good. Now it wasn't, we got married in the summer, uh, it wasn't a particularly good day, it wasn't a bad day, but uh, it was a kind of a damp, drizzly day, a fairly normal Irish summer's day, it has to be said. But that didn't disturb us. We got through and enjoyed our wedding. And uh, it was a fairly informal wedding. We wanted it pretty informal. We had this big group of friends from um, from the kind of theatrical arts background, obviously, uh, from school. And at that stage, both of us were, were working and we had some work friends as well. So um, it was kind of a biggish group of young people and obviously family and so on. The usual went off for a honeymoon to uh, France and we intended, in fact, this was August, remember, uh, we intended to spend a week in Paris and a week off in Brittany, but we had booked a week in Paris and we said when we get there we'll book ahead and go off to Brittany. Um, but 
not realising at the time that in August Brittany is full, as we were told, you know, because all the French go on holidays. So we ended up staying in Paris for a couple of weeks, which is not a bad place to be for a couple of weeks when you're just married. Uh, parenthood is, is the ultimate um, dive into the unknown for most of, for most people when they meet us. Uh, we were we were married a couple of years at that or a year at that stage, and uh, you think you'll be ready for, but you're never really ready for. You know, you, you, I, I was fortunate being the second eldest of a large family, and you know, my youngest brother is thirteen years younger than me, so I was well used to babies and things around the house and changing nappies and all that sort of stuff. My mother was a great delegator, um, but when it's your own and you have that complete responsibility for this tiny little thing and so on it's um, it's just different and terrifying at first but of course like everything else you know you get used to it and, and they're really rather robust small children you know they can put up with a lot and smile and get through it all I started uh, working in Mayor in 1980 uh, I worked for a couple of years in Dublin Airport after training and it was 1984 I was transferred into the office in Glasnevin in those days I mean it seems I mean the 1980s doesn't seem a long time back for me now. I mean, I know for a lot of people listening, it's kind of prehistory, you know, before they were born. But RT only started broadcasting television at five o'clock in the evening. And there was only about six hours of broadcasting between five and 11. Uh, so they were kind of moving backwards into that afternoon slot. And Thelma Mansfield was the person who kicked it off. Uh, so she sat on a sofa and kind of chatted about the programmes and did the presenting. Uh, so they decided to put in a second weather bulletin, which was effectively somebody sitting on the sofa beside Thelma and chatting about the weather. So in late 1984, I did one of those, which would have been my first television experience, if you wish. Uh, but then the following year, I did my first, I would say, proper forecast, which is standing up in front of the camera and delivering to camera in the studio with the charts and so on uh, as part of the evening presentation. It's still a bit nerve-wracking when the camera is pointing to you, the red light comes on and there's just you and you've got to kind of open your mouth and say something or else collapse on the spot. But I managed to open my mouth and say something. I had, To be fair, I had gone through a good training course. RT had put us through a pretty good training course and we'd done a good few mock broadcasts and so on. But you're, you're talking to a camera, but you're really talking to the person at the other end. And though there might be 800,000 people watching you, you're really talking to that one person. So it's a one-to-one communication. And you've got to make that contact that connection with the person at the other end that sort of human link so that they listen to you because if, if you don't link with them if they don't uh, if you like connect with you as, as another person then you know what, what you say is just going to wash over their head so in that sense the wink is, is a useful device into creating that link I, I have a sort of a philosophy of, of, of there's no point in having regrets you know life you only live life once of course you could have taken different paths at different times they could have led to better places, they could have led to worse places. Uh, when we look at the forecast evolution over the next five or six days, there's a number of different paths that the forecast could possibly take. And we look and we try nowadays to, to see the entirety of those paths and then pick the one most likely and that becomes the forecast. And life is a bit the same. We only live life one way. You know, re- regret is, is a very it's a very negative emotion. I think you could eat away at you if you let it. Um, by and large, I have no regrets. The group that I uh, was involved in, uh, we, we were involved in, in, in theatre, but it was it was kind of Beckett and stuff like that, so it was quite um, different. It wasn't the sort of stuff that drama groups tend to do, maybe still tend to do. And uh, Mac the Knife comes from um, Bertolt Brecht and Kurt Weil. They jointly uh, did some operatic and uh, theatrical work, and it was, I suppose, a very simple song that we could all sing, and we'd often sing it together at uh, parties and things like that. All the shop has pretty teeth, dear, and he shows them a pearly white, just a jackknife. 
has back heat there and he keeps it outside when the shark bites with his teeth dear scarlet billows start to spread fancy gloves though where's my heat dear so there's not a trace mm, of red on the sidewalk Sunday morning baby. lies a body oozing light someone sneaking around the corner is this someone like knife from a tugboat by the river a cement bags drooping down yes the cements just for the weight dear that you might he's back in town look at you Louis Miller disappeared dear after drawing out his cash and Mac he spends like a sailor Did our boy do something rash? Suki Tawdry, Jenny Diver, Lottie Lanyard, Sweet Lucy Brown. Oh, the line forms on the right, dear. Now that Mackie back in town. Take it, Satch. 